Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali and I, are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. We are in Genesis chapter 3. We're taking up at verse 14, finishing up this chapter, and we're going to start a little bit into chapter 4. We're seeing now the origin of sin here, where the the serpent has tempted the woman to eat the tree, uh, the fruit of the tree of the, of, um, the knowledge of good and evil. And in chapter 4, we're going to see, as McGee says, the fruit of that sin, which is actually Cain murdering his brother Abel. So in verse 14, the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, in other words, because you've deceived uh, the woman and the man, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So perhaps the servant wasn't crawling around on his be- on the belly um, up until now. Maybe the serpent walked differently. But in any event, now the serpent, the snake, um, crawls on the belly. Eating dust. So that's the way that is. Verse 15, and I will put uh, enmity between you and the woman. In other words, there's going to be a struggle. There's going to be a fight between you and this and the woman. What does that mean? And between your offspring and her offspring. Well, this is, <clears throat> in one sense, you could say, Eve and the snake are going to be at odds with one another from here on out. But it's also, as my study Bible says, and as McGee says, it's it's like a prophecy from the very beginning of Genesis, from the very from the time of sin. God is now saying, "I'm going to figure a way out." This is a prophecy of Jesus Christ in the gospel message. From the very beginning. So in other words, everything in the Bible is pointing to Jesus Christ. Even from here, in the very beginning. Between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring meaning Christ. And 
the serpent's offspring are going to be people <clears throat> in sin. And so there's going to be a fight between the serpent and the woman. There's going to be a fight between what comes forth from this woman, Christ, and what comes forth from the snake. Wickedness and sin and lack of faith and lies about God's Word and perversions of God's Word. And in that same sentence, Scripture continues, it says, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What does that mean? That means this fight that the Bible's talking about between the offspring, the offspring of the woman, meaning Christ, shall bruise your head. Okay, that's going to be a mortal wound. When you get a head wound, you die. And you shall bruise his heel. You're going to, uh, you're going to damage him, but you're going to bruise his heel. In other words, you're not going to kill him. He's going to end up killing you. And so we get, a, we get the very first reference to a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, for the woman, obviously, you see labor pains, and that is universal. All women everywhere, when they go through bringing forth the joy of life, the joy of a child, you're going to have this pain in childbearing. And that's still true today. And your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. <clears throat> the woman's desire is going to be, uh, in my study Bible, kind of points out it's not it's not like a kind of a fleshly desire. It's a desire for um, perhaps the authority of the husband. You know, so her desire is not going to be as the helper, per se. And some women, you know, have more of a helper desire than others, but it will be for that role that he plays. Now, the husband's role is more of a guardian or protector. And, um, a lot, you know, in that sense that the husband will kind of abandon that a little bit too. Um, and he's going to crave more of the authority over the wife. And so... In one sense, the uh, the wife is put in a very subjective role. He shall rule over you. That's the husband is going to be ruling over her. It's not that early relationship that was in the garden at first. And so, as my study Bible says, 
This original sin of rebellion against God will have disastrous consequences on the relationship between man and woman. And as my study Bible points out, number one, Eve will have the sinful desire to oppose Adam and to assert leadership over him, reversing God's plan for Adam's leadership in marriage. <clears throat> and, but number two, Adam will also abandon his God-given pre-fall role of leading, guarding, and caring for his wife, and replacing this with his own sinful, distorted desire to, quote, rule over Eve. So it's one of the most tragic results of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God is this ongoing damaging conflict between husband and wife in marriage. It's given by the sinful behavior in both rebellion against their respective God-given roles and responsibilities in marriage. And these are things that have to be struggled with and worked on over and over in the marital relationship. <clears throat> so God put that there, and you still see it there present today. Pain in childbirth, but also pain in marriage. And at Adam, he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat, this is verse 19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, <clears throat> for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So what is the Bible saying here? Bible saying, just like the woman's having pain in childbirth and pain in marriage, man's going to have pain in how he gets food. And the man's job is going to be trying to provide food, trying to get food. It's usually the man that's out working in the field. Sometimes the woman has to, but it's not going to be easy. The ground is cursed. And you're going to have to work to get the food out of the ground. You're going to have to plant the seeds and raise things. Now, in modern day society, people just go to the grocery store. They didn't have to work for their food. But they have to work for the money to buy the food, right? Nobody's at the grocery store is just going to give you food. So even today, people, their whole... The, the biggest expense, usually monthly expenses for food, is one of the biggest. It's because it takes work to get the food. The food just doesn't sprout forth. And nothing grows all by itself. And you don't get food effortlessly. And you have to work for what you get. So man has to work. And then you basically work till you return to the ground. You just work till you die. And uh, go back. And God's, you know, has described 
the way the man is going to live. He's described the way the woman brings forth children, and he's described the marital relationship will always have tensions in them. These tensions trace right back to what happened in the garden. And remember, like we were saying yesterday, the woman, she was concerned by what she didn't have. And so that she gave up all that she did have. Not appreciating what you do have, you're only wanting what you don't have. She wanted the one fruit that she couldn't have. She didn't appreciate all the fruit that she did have. And what did the man give up? The man had given up his authority to lead, to represent God in the garden. So man was trying to depend on himself and trying to find the best food rather than depending on God that provided him the best food. So you kind of see the origins of the sins and now the ramifications that still exist today. So anytime the husband and the wife has a fight, you think back. Are you really appreciating what God has given you rather than are you just focusing on what you don't have rather than what you do have. Can you imagine how many fights could be stopped if you just stopped focusing on what you don't have in the relationship and then focusing more on what you do have? That's the original sin. And you find that original sin in most all the arguments today. Or when people get themselves into trouble, Are they getting themselves into trouble because they're trying to do so much themselves rather than allowing God to provide? So verse 20, uh, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So they're sitting there in homemade fig leaves and it's God who made the garments of skin and clothed them. And as McGee says, you know, those garments, he probably had to kill some animals to, to do it to get those skins for them. But it's kind of a, even though he's punishing them, he's still taking care of them. Verse 22 Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and also take the tree of life and eat and live forever. And then the sentence stops. There's a line. God must have been really upset or concerned or... He stopped his sentence. And he needed to immediately waste no time as my study Bible. It was an unbearable thought. And God wasted no time in preventing it. Because if the man would have realized perhaps that, hey, you know what? God is just punishing me really badly. Let me run over here and eat from the tree of life. I can live forever. God says, no, I'm not going to let that happen. And so, without any further ado, 
He put him out of the garden. And I wonder, you know, when you think about it a little bit, you know, man has just brought sin in the garden. If man eats the tree of life and lives forever, that means sin lives forever in God's garden, in God's sanctuary. And God cannot be in the presence of sin. And God is just come up with a plan to get rid of this sin. That's going to be Jesus Christ right then and there. We've got a plan. I'm going to take care of this sin, but I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to let all the people be born first. Because right now, if they're born, they're all born in death. So therefore, God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man, he drove out the man, in verse 24. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So the cherubim is like an angelic thing that prevents man from ever getting back to this garden. So there you go. Man is driven out of the garden. Sin has started. The gospel message has been prophesied. Christ has been prophesied. And it was unbearable for God to let man stay in the garden any longer. But as his parting gesture, he takes care of man and he gives him clothes. Verse 4, I mean, uh, chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So Eve is probably thinking to herself, Maybe this man is going to be the man that defeats the serpent. And, uh, you know, maybe this man will save us. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. Okay, so they have different jobs and different roles. Here And you kind of wonder what Adam and Eve are thinking about these boys as they grow up. Do you think our family will ever be right with God? Verse 3, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So, in other words, this was probably the Sabbath, or this was a time where a day of rest, but they're bringing a sacrifice, an offering, to the Lord. Verse 4, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. In other words, this was a firstborn and the best. Now, firstborn is supposed to be what you want to give and the fat portions so it's a the firstborn is a more costly offering. Um, firstborn is something that you're going to kill, and and so in other words, you're not 
allowing that animal to be used over and over and over to breed, you're just kind of, almost in a sense, you've got the firstborn, you're going to take that firstborn, it's never been bred. It's almost like the virgin, you know, offering. And their fat portion. So you're not giving like the defective animal away that was like if you have a litter of flock and then one has got a problem or blind or lame or not born right, you know, you're not taking that defective one to go offer. You're taking the firstborn and of the fat portion. In other words, the healthy firstborn, not the ones that are sickly. It costs you something. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. This has always confused me a little bit when I read this, because does it mean that God likes the animals better than the, uh, than the offering of the fruit of the ground, you know? Does he, or does he like uh, herdsmen more than he does farmers? No, it's an offering of the heart. And what helped me was, as McGee says, and my study Bible says, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. It was by faith. It was an offering of the heart. God doesn't really, his heart is not for what you bring whether it's an animal or whether it's the fruit from the ground. God wants the offering to be in the heart. And if you want to bring your best offering to God, let it cost you something. Not just the leftover change in your pocket. You know, and how many, how convicting is that? Do you have an extra few dollars in your pocket? You throw it in? Or are you giving almost all you have? It could be a parable of somebody who puts in just a few pennies. Maybe worth far more to God if, if those few pennies is all somebody has. Rather than somebody who writes a big check, <clears throat> but it's their just spare change to them. Did Cain just bring in spare change? Or did he bring in something of value, of great value to God? But even deeper than that, where was Cain's heart? Was it for God? Because when God didn't have the regard for his offering, you see where his heart is. He was very angry, and his face fell. Because he had pride. He had pride in his, in what he was doing and his work, and he wanted his offering to be accepted. It's so often today, our work in the church, we want it to be accepted by what people think about it, what people see about it. but it's not that. It's where our heart is. So, we're going to stop here.
And tomorrow we're going to continue our study. So from me to all of you, God bless you. Keep your hearts centered on Christ. Now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great and look forward to hearing what you've got to say today.